Hey, Reach Paramount, welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message. Amen. Let's give God a big praise. Come on, give him a big praise. There, there we go. There we go. Well, we're in the right place. Thank you so much. You're welcome to be seated. And I sense the presence of the Holy Spirit in the, in the house this morning. I'm so uh, honored. I do consider it a privilege to be able to be ministering uh, from this pulpit uh, this morning. Uh, as, you, uh, as you can see, our lead pastors, Pastor Omar Sisoleti, um, are away. I, I think we mentioned this on Wednesday. Um, we released them to, to get away and spend some time uh, together. Uh, spend time with friends, and really what they're doing is they're modeling one of our values uh, here at this church of making room. Now, we put a, a, a big emphasis on our spiritual welfare. Uh, I'm sure that's why many of you, that was part of your motivation of getting up early this morning, getting dressed, and getting to, to church. Um, but also, in our value, we understand that uh, it's important for us to take care of our emotional health, our physical health as well. And uh, and so our pastors, uh, we, we've... Uh, We've asked them to, to get away and spend time together. And we've been in contact with them. They're, they're doing great. Uh, they're, they're enjoying themselves. This morning, I'm going to continue in our sermon series, Walking with God. How many of you have enjoyed the sermon series, Walking with God? And I think it's uh, obviously of utmost importance uh, that we really think about uh, what that means to us as individuals. Now, this is not just a cliche. It's not just uh, a catchphrase that we say, but really it's a lifestyle uh, that we all have to understand and we all have to take serious. Um, this is a fact is that whoever you walk close with will influence your life. Now, you've heard all those different uh, phrases and sayings, right? Uh, uh, show me who you... Who, uh, uh, show me who you, who you hang out with, and I'll tell you who you are. Uh, uh, walks like a duck, talks like a duck. It's a duck. All of these things, right? So it's this affiliation uh, with those that are close to us in our lives that ultimately have the biggest influence on our lives. And so as believers, if we're going to live our life to the fullest uh, and have all that God wants for us. How many of us want the fullness of God for our lives? And in, in, in order, yeah, we'll clap about that and we'll say amen, but in order for us to, uh, to realize that in our lives, it takes a, a commitment and an intention in walking close to God. Like I said, we need to make this our primary goal in life. So when the Bible talks about walking with God, it's referring to a lifestyle. It's not, uh, again, it's not this, this theory, but it's really a lifestyle. Uh, how are you walking with the Lord? Uh, what does your mornings look like? What do your evenings look like? What, is, uh, what does every part of your life look like? And in the New Testament, you'll hear this often, uh, walking with the Lord. And, and uh, really what this means is walking in the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? Because uh, that sounds cool and it sounds uh, very church. But what does that mean? And really, ultimately, in a, in a very simple way, all that means is that our lifestyle is aligned with the Word of God. So if you want to know if you're walking with the Lord today, I would ask you to reflect on your lifestyle. Reflect on how you spent uh, the last couple of nights. And uh, if, if those nights were spent uh, in righteousness and, and holiness, then you're probably walking with the Lord uh, in, in alignment to His Word. And if not, uh, then, then you really need to reflect and, and make some changes. My text this morning is going to be out of Luke 15, and Luke 15 tells us why uh, really it's the privilege that we have to walk with the Lord, and this is a fact, is that God chose us. We didn't choose God. 
This, this is a fact, plain and simple, that God chose us. We didn't choose God. 1 John 4.19 says it this way. We love him because he first loved us. And so we were lost. We were broken. Uh, but now we're found. We didn't find God. God found us where we were at. And this is the reality, and this is what we believe, that God is in the business of seeking and saving lost people. And that is the heart of God for us to walk closely with him every single day. Now, we're made in God's image and uh, ultimately made for God's glory. And so God makes us and God wants to show himself through each and every one of us. And though we've sinned, how many have sinned in this, in, in this room? How many of you, you've walked away from the Lord? Okay, I'm in the right room. Think about this. Think about what, what your life looked like. And despite, despite those bad decisions, despite all of that brokenness and that chaos, God chooses you to show the world his goodness and his grace through you. How beautiful is that? And so God is in the business of restoring us. He's in the, in the business of saving and rescuing those that are broken and those that are lost and forgiving sinners. This is, this is Jesus' life. This is his mission. The death and resurrection are all about restoration and reconciliation of God to his people, ultimately for his glory. Now the stories in Luke 15, there's three stories that Jesus is teaching through. And the first story is the lost sheep. The second one is the lost coin. And the third one is the lost son. And all of these stories have a simple point to it. And that simple point is that God is saving people. Amen. That's the gospel message, that God is saving people. Now, when we look at the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15, we tend to think that there's only kind of one character. And this one character is the lost son. Uh, but there's another brother or there's another son, and that's the older son. And we're going to talk about that too. Now, most people uh, think that it's about these two sons is really what the story is. But this is really what the story is about. The story ultimately is about the father's endless love for his people. God loves us so much. It's the scandal of grace that God would love someone that has denied him, that God would love someone that's walked away from him, that God would love someone that's denied him. And this is the great encouragement that each and every one of us could have is that God loves you. God desires a relationship with you. Whether you want it or not, God is pursuing your heart every single day. So the story ultimately is not about the prodigal son, not about the older son, but it's really about you and me. It's about us and God's relentless love for each and every one of us. And so as, we, as I read through this, and we're going to read through uh, Luke 15, and as I, talk, uh, as I talk through this, I want you to kind of think about which camp do you fall in? Do you fall in uh, the, the camp of the lost son? And I'm sure that there's those that are sitting in this room this morning that feel lost, feel like you lost your way, maybe feel like uh, you once were walking with God in closeness with him, but not so much now. There's going to be other folks that are sitting in this room that feel like you, you are walking close with God, that, that God is moving in your life. 
but maybe we've, we've kind of settled ourselves into a place of self-righteousness where we think we're actually better uh, than we actually are. I, I'm sure there's no one in this room, but we're going to talk about that this morning. And so here it is. I want to read this to you, Luke uh, 15, verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Pray with me. So, Father, I just thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, God, for your truth. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your relentless love, your your faithfulness, God, your grace for each and every one of us, that you would receive broken people like, like us. And Father, I pray today as I minister that the Holy Spirit would begin to tug on the hearts and the minds of your people. And Father, I pray that you'd give us revelation. I pray against every distraction, every contending thought, God, for the people of God's mind. I pray, Lord, that you would silence it, that we would hear your voice. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Now remember this, the context of what's going on here. So Jesus is teaching through a story, and there's, there's two people that are sitting here in this, kind of in this context. It's the Pharisees, it's the religious people, it's those that, uh, that, that are uh, self-righteous, those that are the do-gooders, those that uh, uh, go to church every Sunday and, uh, and, 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 and are doing all of those things. And then there's this other camp, and this other camp are the sinners, this other camp is the tax collectors. And why, why is that a big thing? Well, the tax collectors were like the lowest of the low. So if you had, if you had degrees to this, you know, sinners would be kind of, kind of low here. But a tax collector would be even lower than that. And so you have these two groups that are sitting there listening to Jesus. And Jesus is really aiming this story mostly and largely at the religious group who claim to be walking close to God but their hearts are far from him. And they're the ones with the, accu- with the accusations that ultimately are the ones that are, uh, are in the biggest need of correcting in their hearts. And so the story opens up with really a strange request and even a stranger response. The Bible says in Luke 15, verses 11 and 12, it says, And he said, this is Jesus, There was a man who had two sons, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now, here, let me let me paint this story for you. Here's the illustration. There's a there's a father with two sons, and the younger of the two sons comes to the father and says this, says, Hey, Dad, I look around here and we got a new car. Uh, it looks like we're not doing too bad around here. You're going to die eventually. So why don't you just give me the portion that's owed to me? Whatever that is, we could liquidate some assets. We could, uh, we could, uh, we, we could uh, pull some money out of the 401k, whatever the pension is, start taking some of that a little bit early, and really just cash me out. I'm tired of living in this house. I'm tired of living under these rules. I'm tired of living under your thumb. In fact, what he's doing here is he's completely rejecting his father and saying, I want nothing to do with you anymore. I want to go do me. I can't imagine this. I have, I have two sons, and I can't imagine them coming to me and saying, hey, Dad, look, I appreciate all that you've done for me to this point, but check this out. I know, I, I know you've got to die eventually, 
So hey, just break me off, you know, some cash, maybe the, maybe the car, and I'm out of your hair. I'm, I'm gone. You don't have to worry about me anymore. I mean, we laugh about that, but think about that. Think about your child coming to you and saying, hey, I've had enough of this. I can't do this anymore with you. In fact, you owe me. I, I, I can't think, I, it's hard for me to understand the audacity of this, of this son. I could, I, could, I could empathize with the father, just think, my gosh, how, how cruel would that be? Now, I'll tell you, uh, because I'm a, I'm a human father and I'm a, a human being, if my son came to me and said those words to me, um, I, I would probably slap him. <laughs> I'm just being real. But the grace of the father, the grace of the father that knows what he's going to do will probably ultimately ruin his son he does what the son asks, and he gives him his way. Now, in our culture, this is crazy, right? I mean, I would slap my son. But in the ancient Jewish culture, this was shameful. This was a disgrace. And the biggest surprise here is not that the son asked for it, because we all know those of you that have kids know that they could be crazy sometimes. But the major surprise is that he gives him his portion of inheritance. Now listen to this. So if you're in the Pharisee crowd, if you're in the religious crowd, you're listening to this and you're ticked off. You can't believe the audacity of this son. And then for the father to respond in the same way, you're, now you're starting to point the finger at the father and saying, you're just, you're soft. What a bad parent. The Pharisee saying what I, what I would be saying is, you need to put that boy in his place. How many of you would be saying that? You need to put that boy in his place. And so Jesus is giving us a picture of what sin is like. Something each and every one of us, everyone that raised their hand, have participated to some level. Look, this is the reality. We don't really want God in our lives. We want the blessing. We want our inheritance. We want our portion but we don't want his control. We don't want his rules. And if we're honest, we don't really value or need his love. So a lot of us think of sin as immoral acts, and it includes, it includes that, okay? It includes all the bad stuff that you could think of. But its essence of sin is really that you want to be your own God. You want to be your, your own Lord. You don't want to... You don't want to have to answer to anybody. You want to do your own thing. You want to come and go as you please. You want no consequences. You just want to do you. And that's really the essence of what sin is in our lives. And listen, that can't happen when you're in the presence of God. I mean, the Holy Spirit is just, is just convicting you and you just feel this shame and this condemnation. And this is what it is. The prodigal son does what many of us do is that the prodigal son runs away. And many of us, when we're walking with the Lord, when things start to get kind of hot, when you start to feel uh, the heat of accountability, when you start to feel uh, the, the, the tension of doing what's right versus what we want to do, 
That's when we begin to walk away from God. The Bible says in verses 13 through 16, in Luke 15, it says, not many days after, listen to this, after he asked his son, and uh, after he asked his dad for his inheritance, dad gave it to him. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Now listen to this. He selfishly runs away. And usually when we walk away from God, it comes down to selfishness. The prodigal son, he was selfish. He wanted to do his own thing. He wanted, he wanted his own way. And it's the same principle. When we, be, when we find ourselves walking away from God, it can be boiled down into a simple, simple thing. And it comes down to our own selfishness. Verse, verse 13 says this, that the son liquidated his assets. Now that's a financial term. And all that means is that everything that he had of value, he cashed it out. And so he sold it and took the cash to get as far away from his father as he could. He gets out into the big world and he blows everything. Think about it like this. It would be like, like a small town person, okay? I'm, I'm a Southern California boy, born and raised uh, in L.A., so um, I, you know, I, I can't really, I can't really uh, relate to this, but maybe if you're from a rural area or something like that, it would be like getting, uh, getting an inheritance and then going to like Vegas. That, that's probably the best, the best example, okay? And uh, those of you that have been in Vegas, you understand that there's two sides of Vegas. There's, uh, there's uh, somewhat of a family-friendly side of Vegas, and then there's a dark side of Vegas. Uh, we, could, we could assume that the sun cashed out and went to the dark side of Vegas, okay? And all of the things that come with that lifestyle is what he's doing. And so he cashes out, and he goes hard. How many of us have lived our lives in that, in that, in that way where you, you're, you're going hard, you're running hard, and as hard as you're going is as hard as you burn out? As fast as you're going is as fast as it all comes to an end. And, and this word for reckless living that we're using uh, is, is, can be ref referred to as, uh, as doing moral misdeeds. And so uh, I'll let you kind of finish that out, that, that thought. Now listen to this. As he's out and he's living the high life, fast cars, fast money, fast women, doing it all, as fast as that's happening, verse 14 says, a famine comes. And he has no money, he has no food, and he's desperate. This guy is starting to reflect on his life decisions and starting to feel some regret. He went to a far country to get away from the father, to move from intimacy away from the rules, to move from intimacy from rules and regulations and got everything money could buy. But when everything changed, when the winds changed, when his luck began to change, the money was gone. 
So were the friends. So were the cars. So was everyone that was there with him while they were having a good time. And he hits rock bottom, and he's left with loneliness, begging, and despair. I think about my life, and I think about a time in my life where I found myself broken with nothing, in despair. And I'm sure there's many here that could recall a time where there was no hope. You felt completely hopeless. You were lost. You made all these decisions, and things were going good, and then there was this realization that gripped your heart, it gripped your mind, that your life is completely empty. And so here's this young boy. He, he finds himself in this place. He's completely defeated. This high life ends with him taking the lowest job that you could find in Israel in feeding pigs. As you know, in Jewish custom, uh, pigs were a, were a, a, uh, um, a, a defiled animal. And so for a Jewish man to be anywhere near a pig would, be, would make him ceremonially unclean. And so here this boy is doing the lowest of the low. Uh, and, and really uh, what, we could, what we could see here is that he's, he's, he's hit rock bottom. I mean, there is nowhere further for him to go than where he's fa found himself now. And he's completely defiled physically, spiritually, and emotionally. Verse 15 and 16, it says that he goes out and hires himself out. And so he attaches himself to a guy feeding pigs. It was completely disgraceful. And so Jesus wants us to see this. And this is the fact that this guy has hit rock bottom and sin has completely ruined his life. Now, Jesus in, intends to give us this picture of this trajectory of sin, and it usually starts great. Now, th this is the reality. If you're sinning right, it's usually fun for a moment. Okay, so I, I, have, some, I have some sinners that know how to sin right because they're chuckling because you know what I'm talking about. The Bible actually says that sin is pleasurable for a moment. Hebrews 11, 25 says that there is pleasure in sin. Now, again, if you, know, if you know how to do this thing right, it feels really good for a moment. It feels like, man, I could do this for the rest of my life. And this is the truth, and this is the revelation of the Bible, if you read on in the second part of, uh, of Hebrews 11.25, it says that there is pleasure in sin for a season. For a little while, things seem to go good. See, things seem to be looking up. Life seems to be going all right for you. And then everything comes crashing down. It begins in fun, and it ends in darkness. He's painting this picture of a far-gone sinner, someone that's completely lost, and he wants to paint an image to them as a bad guy. Now, remember, there's two groups that are listening to this story, the religious group and the sinner group. Now, the one group is thinking, yeah, this serves you right. You're, you're getting what you deserve. You're horrible, you're shameful, and you deserve to be sleeping with the pigs. There's the other group. This other group is thinking, 
I can relate to this. In fact, I feel like that kid. I feel broken. I feel ashamed. I feel condemned. I know what it's like when I've hit walk, rock bottom and when I walked away from God. Verse 17, the Bible says, but when he came to himself, my goodness, thank God. Thank God for the moment of revelation. The Bible says that the son said, but, or, or Jesus is telling the story, he says, but when he came to himself, the son, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So here it is, the younger son, he comes to himself, he comes to this realization. And he comes to his senses and he realizes the foolishness of his decisions. And it's really this moment of clarity that comes and it hits him and he finally wakes up. And this fog of sin and selfishness clears up for a moment where he's able to see the reality. Now, most commentators that, that read this, that have studied this, say that this is a moment of repentance where he realizes that he's done something awful. He's done something uh, disgraceful towards his father and towards his family. And now he notices, he says, that he'll just go back and be a servant. He has no plans to be reinstated as a son, but he'll go back and take a low place. In his mind, his relationship with his father is damaged and irreparable. It's broken. There's nothing he could do to fix this relationship. So the only option is for him to come back and beg for mercy and take a low place as a servant. He concluded that he's not worthy to be a son. Now, some believe that as he was reconciling this, as he's having this inner dialogue, that he's kind of going through all the different scenarios. Maybe he could work for some time and earn some money back and then go pay his father back for, the, for, for his bad decisions. He's thinking maybe he could work him, his way back into the right relationship with the father. Now, we need to realize this coming back is not necessarily like we would imagine in the American culture. I remember for myself in, in, in my life, there was a time where I was broken and lost and I had done a lot of shameful things in my life and I had disgraced my family. And I came to a moment just like this son and I began to think about how, how will this look when I go back to my father and ask him for, for forgiveness? And I remember I started working through all of these different, uh, these different types of conversations and, and what I would say and how I would be able to articulate all these different things and realized that none of these things would, would be able to vindicate the, the hurt and the pain that I've caused. Now, in this culture, for this young man to go back was a completely different thing. See, the first century Jewish custom dictated that if a Jewish boy rejected the family, the community would break a large pot in front of him and cry out, so-and-so, this prodigal son, is cut off from his people. Now, this ceremony was called the kazaza. And kazaza literally means a cutting off. 
And after it was performed, the community would have nothing to do with this wayward person. And so imagine this. Imagine this scene. There's a son. He's come to a realization that he's lost and that there's no coming back from this. And he knows. He knows very well about this ceremony of Kazaza. How does he know about it? Well, there's a procedure in place. He's not the first one to do this. There were many other young Jewish boys, young Jewish sons that asked for the same kind of treatment. Hey, give me, my, give me my portion. I'm done living this life. I'm done serving your God, Dad. I want to go do my own thing. And so here's the religious people. The religious people are itching. They know that the son is coming back. Word has gotten out. He posted it on his Instagram. He put it on, on X. He made a TikTok video about how shameful and how embarrassed he was. And so word is out. And so here's the Pharisees. They're waiting. They're waiting for him to come back. And they, they can't wait. They can't wait till the son come, comes back. And the posse of Pharisees are out there. And they're going to perform this ceremony of Kazaza. And what it's going to look like is something like this. As the sun comes back, there's a large pot. Now, imagine this is much bigger in size. But it's symbolic of a breaking of a relationship, of a severing of a relationship. And what they would do is they would take this large pot and they would break it. And this is symbolic of a relationship that would never be repaired. It's irreparable. It's broken and lost forever. You're cut off. You're broken. Every, every inheritance, the, the family line, the, 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 the fruits of that relationship is broken, never to be restored again. But here's the scandal of grace. As the younger son returns and, and is received by the father, in verse 20 it says, the son, and he arose and came to his father, but while he was a long way off, now listen to this, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but the father said his, to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and the shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. I think about this picture in my mind of the father. I would imagine as if I'm the father and my son is lost, every day I would come out and I would look. I would look over at the horizon. I would look over the hills and I would say, I, I, I would just be praying, God, I know you're going to bring him back to me. One day, night and day, I could imagine the father crying out before God, out on his porch, just staring, just saying, at any moment I know I'm going to see him coming. And the beautiful thing of the story is that the father, as he saw his son coming, he didn't wait. He wasn't caught up in indignation and, and hurt 
But the Bible says that he ran towards his son. He was overwhelmed with compassion. We know that for, for a Jewish man in that culture to run is undignified. But not, not only that, the proper, the, the proper way is through this kazaza ceremony. Now, the father knew that if the Pharisees saw him before, before he did, that they would cut him out and that they would cut him off. And so this, this is the father breaking every protocol, breaking every law, every procedure to find reconciliation with his son. And I think about God and I think about our father and the way that he looks for us. And rather than scorning us, rather than disciplining us, he embraces us. Rather than rejecting us, he kisses us. And he receives us. The robe, the ring, the shoes. This all shows full reinstatement into the family. The father doesn't bring the son back as a hired hand, but reinstates him fully to sonship. Now what does that mean? That means he has the full inheritance of the father. The robe shows honor and really what, they, what, 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 what commenters say is that typically it would be a guest robe, but the father took off his own robe and clothed his son in his own priestly robe. The ring shows authority. With the ring shows that he has the authority to do business on behalf of the family. And the shoes showed that he was not a servant, but that he was a son. Now the fattest calf... If you understand in that, in, in that culture, uh, meat was, was, was only reserved for special occasions. And so they're having carne asada tonight. They're, they're doing it up big. And while all of this celebration is going on, the son that was dead is now alive, fully reinstated. The scandal of grace, the scandal of mercy, the scandal of love. There's the elder son. In verse 25, it says, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what, the, uh, what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and treated him, and he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. Now we meet the older brother and he represents the Pharisees and, and the scribes and those that claim that they're close to God.
The father comes out and he tries to, tries to reason with the son or the older brother. Look, he's back. He's not dead. He's alive. He's reinstated. And now the son has this self-righteous indignation. And he's disgusted by this grace. And I think for us in, in our lives, especially for me particularly, I, there's been times in my life where I've seen things and I, I didn't agree with things. I, I think about even times in my own family where I saw things that, that I didn't agree with and, and someone was broken and lost and doing all kinds of crazy things. And I realized the Holy Spirit would just check me and say, man, how dare you? What about you? Where would you be if that same grace that I'm extending to this one wasn't extended to you? And I think for many of us, as we're walking with the Lord, we have to check our hearts. We have to allow God to help us to stay sensitive to those that are broken, to have patience as God has patience with those that are broken that we wouldn't find ourselves in a self-righteous place like the oldest son. I'm going to ask you if you would bow your head and close your eyes this, this morning. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com give.